But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand does not he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received. From my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning and for the privilege to come and hear it expounded upon. We, we pray, Lord, that you would use this time of worship uh, in the preaching of your word to, to teach us and to um, bring our hearts closer to the truth that is in Christ Jesus. And so we thank you, Father, for the time we have today. And we ask for your blessing and for your power in this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. This is now our 99th week in John's Gospel. We have come almost halfway through this, uh, this Gospel uh, over the last uh, two years. And what a blessing. What a blessing it's been. Uh, I've learned so much from, from the study of this, of this uh, Gospel. And I hope and pray that you have too. Uh, Consider, consider the privilege that we have of coming together week by week, opening the Word of God, and having it administer to our hearts and teach us about the Christ that we love and serve. Such a blessing. Now this morning, if you have the notes, you'll see that this is an introduction to John 10. John 10 is probably one of the most well-known uh, chapters of John's gospel. 
It is full of it is full of who Jesus is, who we are as his sheep, who the world is, who the false teachers are, who the under shepherds of God's flock is. These are all taught in John's gospel. And not only that, but it teaches us a great deal about the doctrine of salvation by the sovereign grace of God and how that God views that from his vantage point and how Christ is the center of all of that. And so as we go into chapter 10, uh, we, we come to sort of a uh, crescendo, if you will, uh, of parable that Jesus gives uh, very soon after the healing of the, the blind man. So I want to go back and just pick up the, the historical context of where this chapter lies in regard to that which has gone on with the Lord from chapter 7. Because it's all a lead up to this. And then in chapter 11, we have an illustration of chapter 10 in the raising of Lazarus, which is also a wonderful time. So from the beginning of chapter 7, we've watched Jesus as he attended the Feast of Booths. Uh, All of those chapters deal with that time, the Feast of Booths, when Jesus went down to Jerusalem by himself. Some of the people during that time were asking questions about him. The Jews were looking for him, and they were demanding that if anyone knew where he was, they should they should tell the authorities, which would have been the Jewish religious leaders. We see that in the people asking questions about him as to whether he was the Christ in chapter 7, verse 26. And even under the threat of arrest, he revealed that he was indeed the water of life and that anyone who would believe in him would have everlasting life. Who but the Messiah could make such a claim? Chapter 7, verses 37 38. Then in chapter 8, we see him proclaiming that he is the light of the world. And that anyone who lived in his light would have the light of life, which is another way of saying they would walk in the light of eternal life, which he would give them. In all this, the Jews railed and insulted him so much so that in chapter 8, verses 21 and 24, he said, If you believe that I am, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He related that Abraham, whom they claimed as their father, rejoiced to see his day. In chapter 8, then he made that eternal statement, before Abraham was, I am. To which the Jews were enraged and desired to kill him, but it was not yet his time. We come to chapter 9, we see the beautiful illustration of salvation in living lessons when Jesus healed a man who was born blind and then finally healed the blindness 
of the man's heart in chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. As the Pharisees listened and watched to, to hear his words, they once again demonstrate their hardness and blackness of heart as they reject Jesus as Savior, as the Savior, because they think, in their minds, they think that they are right. They think that they are the ones that have inherited the salvation that God had given to His people Israel. And because they think they're right, and they will not listen to the words of Christ, in their delusion, they receive a death sentence that will speak of their guilt before God that would remain. And all this because they would not believe upon Him, and so they would remain guilty, and all they have, all they have left to come to is the judgment bar of God where He will pronounce them guilty and send them to punishment. And we can see the clear teaching of salvation through all these chapters and the sovereign work of God as He performed these things, but there is yet more teaching to be done and more illustration to give in chapters 10 and 11. Then Jesus in chapter 12 faces the Jews again. And then from there we have chapters 13 uh, through 17 on that last night of Jesus' life. So we've got quite a ways to go yet. But I love this chapter because it speaks so clearly of the salvation that God has given to his people. In my, in my study right out there, I, I, on the front wall, I have a painting that was given to me when I first came here uh, as pastor back in 2000. And uh, that painting is a, a painting of the, of the 100 sheep that uh, the uh, shepherd had and how one, she, one little sheep went astray and got lost. And he left the 99 sheep in the valley and went looking for that one lost sheep. I often look at that painting. And when I do, I, I think about that passage in Luke, uh, where he talks about the ninety and nine and the rescue of the one. But almost invariably, as I look at that painting, I, I think about John chapter 10. Because it speaks of the portrayal of Jesus as the good shepherd who keeps, who cares for, and who rescues his sheep from eternal danger. Chapter 10 is a favorite of mine, and I think it's a favorite of many, because of the scene and of the personage that it portrays. We see in it Jesus as the good shepherd, loving and leading and dying for his sheep. We see those who would try to enter the sheepfold by some other way, climbing up some other way than going through the door to which Jesus says, 
Anyone who tries that is a thief and a robber. We're going to look at those words in detail next week. This is just an introduction this morning. And there are thieves and robbers because there is no other entrance to the sheepfold other than the gate that goes into it. This pastoral scene is one that would have been knowledgeable of all the Jews during Jesus' life. It is the picture of a shepherd coming to the sheepfold and calling out his sheep, which he says, by name. Now, we all... Maybe not all of us, but most of us probably have pets of one sort or another. And uh, uh, we have a little dog that uh, uh, is very dear to both of us. And uh, his name is Cole. uh, Or Bubby. Sometimes we call him Bubby. But isn't that just the way we are? Do we not, not, if we get a pet, uh, do we not name them? We give them names because we, we, we love the pets that we have. And sometimes even on the farm, uh, the animals will receive names, which makes it more difficult if the animal is not there any longer for the children. But this is, this is what it says. He comes and he calls them by name. This, was, this sheep herding was the heritage of the Jewish people. The Israelites were always known as sheep herders. Listen to Genesis chapter 46, when Joseph told his brothers what to say to Pharaoh when they came and asked if they could dwell in the land of Goshen, which was north of e- in the northern part of Egypt. Listen to what he says. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they keep, they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You will say to to him, Your servants have been keepers of livestock. From our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to Egyptians. From the very beginning, Abraham was a sheep herder. Isaac, Jacob, they were all herders. And that is the imagery found all the way through the Old Testament as deals with God's people as being His sheep. That imagery. Who could forget the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. The Lord of heaven does wonderful things for his sheep. They will live in his house forever, as the psalmist wrote in that same psalm. 
The psalmist wrote in Psalm 100, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah declared, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Is there anything more adorable than a baby sheep, a lamb? Well, maybe a puppy. <laughs> it's a close, it's a close tie. <laughs> Mark wrote that Jesus had pity on the crowds because he saw them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Before his crucifixion, Jesus referred to Isaiah's prophecy of the suffering servant, saying, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. The author of Hebrews spoke of Jesus as the great shepherd. Peter spoke of him as the chief shepherd to whom all the under shepherds are responsible. This this whole motif of idea of the shepherd and the sheep, God and his people are throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament as illustration. Jesus is called the good shepherd because of the abject failure of the Pharisees who were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel in their dealings with the man born blind. They totally and completely failed. They proved that they did not care for God's people. Jesus set the example of what a shepherd should be. And now we have set before us the work and the nature of the good shepherd in juxtaposition to those who are wicked shepherds and teachers of Israel. Now to understand this passage, we really need to understand the cultural background of What Jesus is saying in this parable. The imagery and the cultural background is a very colorful and hopeful one of depiction. It was the custom in the days of Israel to lead for shepherds to lead their sheep by going before them. Now, Western Western sheep herders don't tend to their sheep like like the eastern ones do. Uh, in Australia, we, we, would you, we would often see uh, shepherds, uh, sheep herders, and they drive their sheep. They get behind them and they push them. Uh, they have dogs that will run and keep the sheep together. And, but they're always pushing the sheep. It's the same here. But in the, in the customs of the east, in Jerusalem, in, in the areas surrounding the Middle East, shepherds did not drive their sheep. Shepherds led their sheep. They walked out in front of them. They called to them. The sheep knew who the shepherds were. And they followed them when they were called. This is the idea that Jesus is giving. That's why he said to them, the sheep would recognize 
his voice when he called to them. As darkness would fall, as the shepherds would be would have their sheep out in the fields, the shepherds would begin to lead their sheep to a sheepfold so that they would be protected. They'd have a safe place where they could be secure and enclosed away from predators and away from pillagers, rustlers. Now, there were two types of sheepfolds in, the, in ancient Israel. One was, called a, one was a countryside sheepfold. And it consisted of a circle of rocks or, or shrubs or uh, thick bushes that would be brought together. And the sheep would be led into the sheepfold. In these kinds of countryside sheepfolds, there was generally no gate. But it was a narrow opening where the sheep would go in. And then the shepherd would lay across the, the gate or the opening... And he himself became the gate of the sheepfold. The other kind of sheepfold was the ones found in towns and cities. It was an enclosed area with walls built around it. Where shepherds would bring their sheep along with other shepherds and their sheep. And they would put them all in together into this sheepfold which the gate would be opened by a gatekeeper. The gatekeeper held a rod in his hand, and he would stop the sheep at the door to check the sheep out to see if any of them were sick. And having all the sheep entered into the sheepfold, the the gatekeeper would close the gate. And he would stand guard. He was a hired under-shepherd. The real shepherds would then go to their place of the night for their rest and their meal. And the sheep would be in the sheephold guarded by the gatekeeper. The shepherds would come early in the morning light to which the gatekeeper would give entrance. He would open the gate. The shepherd would go into the sheepfold and call his sheep. And his sheep would then leave the other sheep and come follow him out. Until each shepherd had received their own sheep. Anyone else that tried to get sheep out by the gate would be considered a would-be rustler. And they would be turned away. Many would try to find another way in to the sheepfold to steal, to pillage, to scatter. They were thieves and robbers. When the true shepherd came for his sheep, he would be given entrance. He would call his sheep out. And he would take them then, he would lead them out to the fields where they would feed and there would be water for them to drink. And he would guard them The shepherd would guard them out in the field from predators. It is this second type of sheepfold that Jesus is referring to here in John chapter 10. This chapter has been interpreted in many ways. The characters in it 
have been given a wide variety of descriptions by different commentators. Some see the sheepfold as the world. Others see it as the church. Some see it as heaven. The sheep have been said to be all mankind. While others say, it's no, it's only Jews. Everyone seems to see Jesus as the shepherd. That's pretty clear. But who is the gatekeeper? And who are the thieves and robbers that seek to steal and kill? To make an accurate assessment of these characters, the parable must be viewed in context. The context flows directly into chapter 10 from chapter 9 and the preceding story about the man who was born blind, who was healed by Jesus. And treated so harshly and wickedly by the religious leaders who claimed themselves to be the shepherds of Israel. William Hendrickson comments on this. Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd over against false shepherds. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The Pharisees, on the other hand, as evil shepherds, are not concerned about the sheep and cast them out. The man born blind, a true sheep, had been excommunicated by the Jewish authorities, but Jesus, as the good shepherd, had sought and found him. That is the description between the good shepherd and the false ones. You say, well, there's a lot of false teachers who are out there teaching today, but they don't cast their people out of their churches. They do not do that physically, but they do that spiritually. People have no truth given to them. They don't understand what the scriptures actually mean. Some have tried to make chapter 10 a standalone story, but that is not a viable way of treating the text. There is no transitional statement at the beginning of chapter 10, like after these things or on the next day or as Jesus passed by, which are used in other places in John's gospel. The passage is directly connected to Jesus' last statements in chapter 9. When he spoke to the Pharisees, and it has a direct relationship to them. His words at the end of chapter 9 are argumentative and judgmental. While his words in chapter 10 are allegorical and instructive. Jesus is the shepherd in the parable. The sheep are those whom Jesus finds and brings into his sheepfold. The thieves and the robbers are the false shepherds and false teachers of Israel. The Pharisees, who don't really care about the sheep. MacArthur states, they are the self-appointed Jewish religious leaders who are doing the work of the devil. Not God climbed the walls of the sheepfold to spiritually fleece and slaughter the people. No false teacher would admit to doing that, but that's exactly what they do. They fleece 
the people and they slaughter them spiritually. False teachers and false shepherds have always been found infiltrating God's sheepfold. They make their way in to satisfy their own wicked desires. Israel had a long history of false shepherds. Listen, well, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah 56. Verses 10 and 11, if you would. Verse 10, his watchmen are blind. They are without, they are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. No, does that sound like somebody you know in the quote-unquote religious Christian circles? All you have to do is turn on your TV. All you have to do is tune in your radio. And you'll hear any number of them. They're out for their own gain. Turn just a few pages over to, I, to Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah 10. <clears throat> Verse 21. For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. See, that's what happens when people gather together in the name of the Lord, and they are, they are not taught anything, and they're not loved, and they're not cared for. They just end up being scattered. Look at chapter 50 of Jeremiah, verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. This was the Pharisees. These were the false teachers of Israel who were out for their own gain. They didn't care anything about God's people. All they cared about was their fame, their position, and their wealth. So what is the answer to those who would seek to gain from God's flock while at the same time teaching them abominable things? Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. That's the end of the false teacher. That's what's going to happen to them. They're claiming to be the under-shepherds 
of the chief shepherd, and yet they do not care for the sheep. They only teach them things that will rally themselves and build themselves up and line their own pockets. If you don't believe that, just look up some of the wealth gained by some of these televangelists and pastors. I hate to even call them that. False pastors who are fleecing the sheep for their own gain. This fleecing of God's sheep, it's going on all around us today. Men and women, men and women who teach false doctrines and wound and scatter the sheep will find themselves under the wrath of God and will receive their due Punishment. Jesus warned about the false teachers. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Be aware of false prophets, he said, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. In Scripture, the wolf and the sheep are considered, the wolf is considered the dread enemy of the sheep. And we all know how vicious wolves can be. The Apostle Paul also warned of them. In Acts chapter 20, when he met with the elders of the church at Ephesus, this is what he said. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You do not understand, you, do, you don't know the times over the years that, that I've been here that I've had to run the wolves off. I'm not going to allow anybody to walk through those doors and scatter this flock. It was prophesied centuries before that God's Messiah would shepherd His people like sheep. Ezekiel 34, verse 23 says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now when it says David, it's talking about the one who would come through David's line as the Messiah. Who would be the shepherd of God's people. Ezekiel 27 verse. uh, No, Micah chapter 5 verse 4. And he said, stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That's the Messiah. The one who would come and shepherd God's people. Matthew quoted, and you say, well, wait a minute, how does he do that? How does he shepherd, how does he shepherd his people today if he's gone to be in heaven? That's how he does it. That's why coming here and opening God's 
Word and preaching from it and teaching from it is so important. Because this is Jesus shepherding us through His Word. Matthew quoted Micah 5 verse 2 concerning Christ as the shepherd when he said, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means among the rulers, uh, least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Jesus is the shepherd. His people are his sheep. The gatekeeper in the parable is the under-shepherd of the fold who guards the sheep while the true shepherd is away. In a local context, that would be me and Dave. Constantly watching, constantly tending, constantly caring for, constantly teaching. The sheepfold in the parable, is Israel and later the Gentile nations who were grafted in. They are God's chosen people. Now, there's, there's a dispute as to when this parable actually took place. We're not given a time lapse between chapter 9 and 10, but it seems most likely that it would have been just a short time after uh, the healing of the blind man and his expulsion from the temple. Because verse 6, Jesus said, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And when you get to the, you get to verse 21, some of the people said, These are not the words of one oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, it's all refer- referenced back to chapter 9. And the healing of the blind man, which was still a great topic among the people. The miracle of Jesus healing the blind man is in much consideration among those who were were incensed by Jesus' rebuke of judgment upon them at the end of chapter 9. The first thing we see in this passage is the shepherd and his sheep. As we stated earlier, Israel had a long history of their patriarchs and their leaders and their prophets being sheep herders. People like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, who tended his father-in-law's sheep, and David, who tended his father's flock. If you recall, he was tending his father's sheep, when he was called to go and face Goliath. It is no mistake that God would liken his people to sheep. Sheep, among all the agrarian animals, sheep are the most helpless, the most wandering the most defenseless, and one of the most dirty of all animals. If you've ever been around sheep, they stink. In Australia, we used to, there was a term that people used, uh, sort of like if you wanted to 
call somebody a, a jerk or, or, an, or a, um, an idiot, they would use the word dag. Oh, what a dag he is. Do you know what a dag is? A dag is that bit of wool that hangs down on the rear end of a sheep on which when he, his excrement goes out, slides down that and it gets covered with excrement and he just walks around with it on it. He can't get it off. That's called a dag. Sheep must be constantly cared for and looked after. They often need to be rescued, led, and cleaned, or they will die. I watched a a shepherd in Australia one time pull out a a sheep, and he was going to look at it for some reason. And he, he grabbed it, he turned it on its side, and he grabbed three legs, and he bound them together, one leg loose. I said, why, why do you bind just three legs? He said, if I bind all four, that sheep will die. They feel helpless. They feel like there's no hope. And they'll die. Sometimes sheep will fall over, and they can't get up, and they die. Doesn't that sound like us? Sounds just like us. Maybe except for the dag part. (laughs) We are helpless in our spiritual distress with no self-ability to change our situation. Not a single one of us could change our situation. We were sinners and we remained that way. And we could do nothing to change it. We are easily lured and led astray and often find ourselves in difficult circumstances that are spiritually dangerous with little or no understanding with which to rescue ourselves. That's just like a sheep. They will wander away. They will follow another sheep over a cliff. As well, we often find ourselves dirty and in need of spiritual cleansing. There's where the dag comes in. We cannot clean ourselves of our sin, and therefore we need a shepherd who can do that for us. A shepherd who loves us and cares for us, as we, and, and we do have a shepherd like that. His name is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. He is not like some under shepherds who are hired hirelings who do not care for God's sheep. He is the good shepherd who always cares for God's sheep, God's people. He is the shepherd of shepherds. He saves his sheep. He helps his sheep. He rescues his sheep. He understands his sheep and he cleanses his sheep. And when he cleans them, they are clean. 
What a great shepherd we have. He is the good shepherd. I can't think of anything more precious than a shepherd coming to rescue one of his sheep who is lost and does not know how to find his way back home. That's what Jesus did. For each and every one of us who know him in the forgiveness of sin, he brought us home. And oh, we are still sheep and we still tend to wander. I pray that as we go through chapter 10, we will learn many things about our shepherd and about ourselves. And the great salvation that he has procured for us. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this Lord's Day and for the opportunity to come and worship. What a blessing. What a, what a, a grace you have given us. To be able to leave our homes and come together in one place as God's people and to sing your praises and to give our prayers and to, to hear your word given to us so that it means something to us, so that it leads us and, and guides us in our lives, so that it convicts us of our, of our sin, so that we can claim the promises that we find in it. I pray that would be the case of everyone here this morning and for those who will listen after today. Do this, O Lord, we pray, for the glory and the majesty of your own name. For yours is the only name worthy to receive it. This we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ the great shepherd of the sheep. Amen.